0: singers and musicians, I have a rather lengthy lesson today, so I want to go ahead and go to the Word of the Lord, book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse number 14. Thank you for being in the presence of the Lord and the house of the Lord today. Bible says, very familiar scripture, follow peace with all men and holiness Without which no man shall see the Lord. Continuing today to talk about foundational elements, landmarks in the apostolic faith. Uh, Several weeks ago I taught on oneness. Uh, Last week I taught on salvation, uh, the new birth. And so today I want to speak on the landmark called holiness. And it is just as essential as understanding the oneness of God, understanding the new birth and salvation. And so if you'll allow me today, I'm going to take some time and just reinforce, remind, maybe revelation will be imparted uh, about holiness. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Follow peace with all men. did doesn't say follow peace with some men. The word men there is pertaining to humanity, not necessarily uh, the male gender. it's humanity. Follow peace with humanity. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers makers, not the peace keepers, the, the, the peace makers, the people that take it upon themselves, to defuse the situation. You know, I've found in life that a lot of misunderstandings and and brewing conflict in a person comes from a lack of understanding on both parts. You look at it one way, this person looks at it this way, both people think they're right. And, and, and so there's conflict, turmoil in their spirit, and there's a lack of peace. You can tell when there's peace in a home. You can tell when there's peace in a marriage. You can tell when there's peace on a job, and you can tell when there's not. Ever heard that term that you could cut the tension with a knife? I've seen people smiling on the outside They weren't smiling on the inside. They were just so eat up with turmoil. So the Bible says follow peace, but it couples peace with something else. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So this verse teaches us that holiness is absolutely essential. For Christians, you cannot go to God's holy heaven unless you live a holy life, which is how this thing works. You cannot think that I can live mixed with the world and then when the rapture takes place, I'm going to be transformed into something holy. No, you live holy down here. And when God transfers us, when mortality puts on immortality, we're the same being. We're holy. Okay. But look at the next verse. Verse 15, Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, when you make no attempt to follow a holy lifestyle, you jeopardize the grace of God in your life. When you make no attempt to try to follow holiness then you can literally fail the grace of God by just trying to do what you want. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 15 through 16 but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be ye holy, for I am holy. These verses teach us that holiness is absolutely expected by God. We're commanded to live a holy life in a way that affects every part. That's why it says all manner of our lifestyle or conversation. In holiness, we get, a, we get a bad rap because... When people think of Pentecostal, the first thing they think is, "I got to give up all my worldly stuff. I gotta, I gotta look. I can't do this. I gotta look like this." And they start listing in their mind all these things, and they miss the whole point. It's not about what you have to give up; it's about what you gain. I promise you, what you gain is far greater than what you'll ever have to give up in the world. It's about lining my life up with who God is, how God would act, how the Lord would act, what he expects. So I ask you these questions. Couldn't this idea, these these questions have been posed before. Couldn't this idea of holiness just be an inward work of God? Is outward holiness really a landmark of the apostolic faith? Does the Holy Ghost really affect the outward actions and appearance of the vessel he chooses to dwell in? Do the standards of conduct and appearance given in Scripture still apply to us today? Couldn't they be discarded in favor of a lifestyle that is less conspicuous and offensive in modern society? Does God really want us to be different? So let's go to the scripture. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself A peculiar people, zealous of good works. 1 Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How foundational is holiness? Give me some time and I'll explain. But remember this. History repeats itself. I mentioned before and I'll expound here again today. There was a man named Nicholas. He was a proselyte of Antioch. He was one of the first seven church deacons chosen to look after the business matters of the early church in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 5. However, his dedication to the apostolic message was short-lived. And according to every or rather, according to early writings on heresy, Nicholas eventually backslid and introduced the doctrine of the Nicolaitans to the church. His doctrine abused Paul's doctrine of the grace of God and it introduced a false freedom into the church. In the book of Revelation, the apostle Paul compared the Nicolaitans to Balaam in the Old Testament, who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. In Revelation 2.14, this is mentioned. Balaam, if you look at Balaam, he was unsuccessful in cursing Israel from without. But he taught them to mix godliness and worldliness. Numbers 31, 16. And they cursed themselves from within. And the same spirit that was behind Nicholas's doctrine was based on Greek dualism. He declared that Christians, since they were sinners saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside, and still remain saved on the inside because holiness was not an external work. It was an internal work, and it's a lie. It's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. His teaching would later be the basis of the doctrine of eternal security or what we know as once saved, always saved, and and even the practice of the confessional, which is confessing your sins to another man as a priest. And since his teaching required no outward change to be saved, people started flocking by the masses. Because people want to ease their conscience without changing their life. That's where we're at today. I'll pray enough to feel okay, but I'm not going to change my behavior. And they abuse the grace of God. Remember I said grace is not a license to sin. It's a safety net if you do. Paul dealt with that. He said, should I continue in sin because grace abound? God forbid. You don't just go do whatever you want to do and say, oh, I can just ask God to forgive me. That's abusing the grace of God. We're not called to abuse the grace of God. And so in his teaching, people began to flock both from the pagan religion and from a lukewarm church. And Nicholas taught that the externals of holiness were not important. However, God had a different opinion. Twice in Revelation 2 and 6, 2 and 15, God said that he hated the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And if he hated it then, he hates it now. There was a work done by Greek theologian Irenaeus called Against Heresies. And he lets us know how far this worldliness eventually reached. Says the Nicolaitans are the followers of that Nicholas who was one of the seven first ordained as deacon by the apostles. This is what he said. They led lives of unrestrained indulgence. Church people. They were led astray because they thought, I can do whatever I want. I can look however I want. If I've had an experience with God, then that's all it takes. That's not all it takes. There has to be inward change. And there has to be an outward change. There has to be an evidence that there's a change. If you look through history, an outward standard of holiness was the first thing to go in the great falling away of the latter first century. But that tide of change did not stop there. Because once they lost their holiness, they started losing real repentance. They started losing water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus, they started losing speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit, and then they compromised the doctrine of the oneness of God. Only as the elders, apostles died one by one, Leaders with smaller vision and weaker conviction stepped in and suddenly altered their message. You see, as long as those apostles were in place, as long as those pillars were in place, then they, they knew what to preach and they knew what to stand for. And they knew how to do it. No, they didn't have everything that we have here today. They didn't battle everything we battle today. But let me tell you something. Devices is not the problem. Sports is not the problem. Everything the world has to offer is not the problem. The heart has always been the problem. And so even 2,000 years ago, they still dealt with the heart of humanity. All the external and temporal things changed. They didn't have iPads. They didn't have iPhones. But they had other things that wanted to compromise their heart. But when those leaders started dying off, then other leaders started rising and they started Compromising the truths. This led as doctrinal errors kept getting worse and worse. It propelled the church into what is known as the dark ages. And it was then that it became apparent just how much was lost when the holiness lifestyle was abandoned. Can I tell you that Nicolaitans are on the rise again in the apostolic church? They're on the rise. History repeats itself. They are compromising the non-negotiable principles of Scripture for personal convenience and social acceptance. Because we got people so worried about being liked. So worried about what other people think. Let me tell you something. The greatest liberty that you will ever experience in life is when you stop caring what people think. Who cares? You want to get in a fight with somebody and lose? You fight a man who don't care. That's more dangerous than anything. A guy I used to go to church with, he said, when I walked in the barroom, I didn't worry about all them guys running their mouth at that bar. He said, it was that quiet guy in the corner that would lose his mind and wipe this whole place clean. He said, because he didn't care. The greatest liberty you'll find is when you stop caring. I went through this phase in high school as a teenager where well, I wanted to blend in with everybody. I wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to do things. I wanted to be invited. But I felt the tug of God at my heart to do something for Him. And so I was caught between wanting to do something for God and consecrate to God and wanting to go hang out with my friends. And I was that unpopular guy that I would go I know this is going to sound crazy When my parents got a new house when I was about 17 years old somewhere around there 16 or 17 and most people when they want furniture for their room they want it to look cool Okay, I was an old soul my wife told me I was born old I wanted a big wooden desk because I always envisioned sitting at my big old wooden desk studying my Bible that's crazy What 17-year-old goes, I want an old man's wooden desk. But I would sit there and I'd take my Bible and I'd take me a notebook and I'd just read and I'd make make notes because I would see myself. I was 16, 17 years old, but I said, one day, God, I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to preach a youth camp. I'm going to pastor a church. I'm going to travel the world preaching. And I had this dream that God planted in me. And when God puts something in you, You will never fit in with people. You will never fit in with your friends. You will never blend in. And I'd have people, I was always taught, you don't ever say that you're a preacher. Don't ever tell anybody you're a preacher. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what I was taught. So I never would say anything. People would say, are you a preacher? No. God forgive me for lying. I want to preach, but I'm not a preacher. I've never preached before, so I'm not a preacher. I'll never forget I was preaching. I wasn't preaching. I was about 17, 18 years old at a youth camp in Tioga. And all these people, all these times for several years, you're a preacher. Are you a preacher? Finally, my buddy one time got tired of it. He's a, He was a preacher. I was with another preacher. And we were at a restaurant. And the lady came up and said, are y'all preachers? And I was fixing to explain myself. And he goes, yes, we're all preachers. I was like, sure, I'll be a preacher. Okay. Okay. And he preached about Gideon. And he's Gideon, if you remember the story, Gideon was hiding when the angel of the Lord showed up and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, hold up a minute. I'm hiding. I'm hiding. And you're telling me I'm a mighty man of valor? And his title that day, Was the last one to know, but the first one to go. That's what the preacher preached. And I said, God, all these years, everybody else has been telling me, and they've been seeing it, but I've never responded. And I said, I'll respond. I was one of the first ones at the altar. And when I got to the altar, there was a man there. He was a daytime preacher. And he laid hands on me. Never seen this man in my life. And he began to tell me everything that me and only me and God knew. And so God began to pull me and begin to... say, se- Holiness is means separation. Holiness is not defined by your sleeve length. It's not defined by necessarily what you look like on the outside. Holiness is separation. And if you're going to live holy, that means there's going to be some people you can't hang around. There's going to be some places you wouldn't go. Anybody ever heard of this CrossFit? I know we don't have it in Catahoula, unless there's some underground CrossFit club that I hadn't found out about yet. But there's the CrossFit is big, big, big in in like metro places, and and it's not just working out. It is it is jumping on boxes and pulling ropes and all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Like let's clean out our shop and let's just make exercises. And so you got all these people doing all this stuff. But do you realize that Jesus is the first one that made cross fit? You know what he said? "Any man follow after me. Let him first deny himself. Take up his cross. And when you're carrying your cross, there's going to be some places the cross won't fit in. There's going to be some doors the cross won't fit through. There's going to be some opportunities the cross won't. It can't be you and the cross. Now, you can put that cross down. And you can go. But if you're going to follow him, you got to have that cross. The cross is going to prevent you from going places that you shouldn't go, from entertaining things that you shouldn't entertain. That was a good one. I wasted a message on that. But we're here now. History repeats itself. People are surrendering holiness because it's too restrictive. It's too burdensome bunch of rules rules you know you've heard me talk about the uh, cities of refuge in the old testament the cities of refuge if you're in trouble and you're running to the city of refuge it was a walled city and you're running to it then the mercy was extended one way they would fight for you they would defend you because you're coming to the place of refuge And you could stay there all of your life. But if you ever felt it was too restrictive. If you ever felt there was too many rules. And you wanted to walk out. You could do it. They'd open that wall, that gate. And it didn't matter if the enemy was at the gate waiting. The mercy only applied one way. When you were coming to the city of refuge. When you left, you were on your own. There's a lot of people that have run to this city of refuge and the mercy of God just kept pulling them, fighting for them. But they live long enough to go, why do we have to do this? You ever heard that? This is how how it usually starts. I know it's Sunday school and it's teaching. I'm not supposed to be down here, but I can do whatever I want. It'll sound something like, "James, do you really? Why do you even think we do this? Just like that, that simple." You know, you can tell when someone's about to quit a job because you're going to find everything wrong. When somebody comes in and starts complaining, it, you just mark mark the calendar; they're not lasting long because they're not seeing when they first started. It was the greatest job on the face of the earth. They loved everything about it. They loved their boss. They did their best. But then towards the end, they started looking for all the inconveniences. And when they started looking at all the inconveniences, that's when you know they were on their way out. And when people are in the city of refuge... At first, they think it's the greatest thing ever. And I've watched people long enough. They started looking at all the inconveniences. They started looking at what we can't do. And then they start trying to spread like venom to other people. You need to be leery of people that start trying to drop seeds in your spirit. What's that Bible say? Mark those that cause division. Amen. That's good stuff. Jesus wants to be more than a Savior who forgives sins. He wants to be the Lord who affects your everyday life. But the apostate spirit of the last days will reject holiness teaching. Because people, watch this, listen to me. People want a Savior, not a Lord. Everybody wants to be saved. You can't find anybody lost. Everybody's saved. People want a Savior. They just don't want a Lord. Isaiah 4 and 1 says, In that day, Seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. It's a prophetic word. It's speaking of the last days. The last days church is represented by seven candlesticks in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. There are seven would be brides of Isaiah 4 and 1, and it's a prophetic picture of the church. All seven women seek to take hold of one man, which is Christ. And many Christians today want to eat their own bread, which is their own interpretation of the Word of God, but their bread is polluted and it's unacceptable to God. He said, Isaiah said seven women represent seven churches. And they're all holding, trying to get one man. And they said, let us eat our own bread and wear our own garments. We just want you to save us. Where are we at today? People have their own interpretation of this word. They've come up with their own bread, and they want to wear whatever they want to wear. Don't tell me no different. Just be my Savior. That's not what God wants to be. 2 Timothy 4 and 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Malachi 1 and 7 says, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Many Christians today want to wear their own apparel, rejecting separation from the world, holiness, preaching, spiritual authority, and anything they think is negative. I told somebody yesterday, and I think I probably have texted somebody in here, the only time I want to be around anybody negative is when you test negative for corona. That's it. That's it. I don't want to be around negative people. And we we are in a day when absolute truth, and when I say absolute truth, I'm talking about the oneness of God, the new birth message, the holiness preaching of this word, absolutes that are not negotiable is viewed as offensive and negative. Because we're not including everyone's opinion. Let me tell you something when it comes to your soul, your opinion does not matter. My opinion does not matter. There's only one thing that matters when it comes to this, to salvation, and it's the Word. You don't change the Word to fit your life, you change your life to fit the Word. Okay, this doesn't change. And everybody. You know, we got to treat everybody with respect. I agree. I I try to treat everybody with respect, whether I agree with who they are and their decisions or not. I'm not saying that as Christians we have to use this as a bully club and beat everybody over the head that doesn't line up with the book. That's not right. Okay? There is a way to use the Word with wisdom and love and let the Word do the work. Okay? I believe that you can be tactful yet forceful using this word. But if you start acquiescing on truth so as not to offend one, then you got to start acquiescing on all of it so you don't offend any. Truth is truth. And, and, And I stand and I declare and I preach truth. Hey, if I wanted to explode and have a mega church, I can tell you three things, three things to drop and how we wouldn't be able to have the people. And it's the three things that I've taught on over the last three weeks. If I compromise a little bit the oneness of God, the new birth message, and holiness, we'd well, have so many people. You talk about it be hard to find you a seat. You, you got ruffled last week, you'd really be getting ruffled. A lot of people doesn't mean you got a great church, does it? There's one body. There's one body. There's only one truth. These women, the seven women, want to be the bride of Christ, but only on their terms. They have no desire to submit to the authority of a husband and they are not interested in his needs or his concerns. They want want an arrangement that benefits them without intimacy, love, or devotions. And these Christians want nothing more than forgiveness to have that reproach removed. This is the apostate spirit of the last days. They want their forgiveness, but they don't want any change. Listen to me. We could sit here with hypotheticals all day long and come up with hypothetical scenarios about, will God forgive this and what happens if this happens and all that. Let me tell you, God is a merciful God. We have no way of measuring the mercy of God. But I I take this approach. I would rather follow what is laid out in this book to the best of my ability, then take the chance of throwing myself on the arms of mercy because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. What does the Bible say? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So the attitude that we're dealing with today is how much do I have to do to be saved? But our attitude should be, how much can I do to please the Lord? There's people, it's amazing. You get people come to God that don't know anything. Get the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name. I could say at 4 o'clock on Sunday, we're going to stand against that wall on our heads and spit BBs. And they would be lined up, duct taped to the wall. Anything that preacher says, I will do it. And then you got the ones that have been there 20 years, 30 years. Somebody got my spot against the wall where I was going to stand and do BBs. That's right. Somebody say, that's right. It shows you the desire in people. One person's coming in going, hey, whatever you tell me to do, I just want to be saved. And the other person's going, do we really have to do that? Are you serious? The church I used to go to, We didn't have to do that. Go. If you don't want to do it, go where you don't have to do it. Nobody in here said that, okay? I'm just, that's just a hypothetical. But you see the difference between the two. It's desire. Desire. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty. David never lost the beauty of God. And we get so busy looking at other things that we lose sight of how beautiful God really is in our life. How much do I have to do to be saved? That's what people, that's what the world is saying. I preached a message one time, I'm sure you remember it. I may preach it again and change the title. I don't know. But it's called the danger of do I have to. Anybody remember that? Good, I can preach it again. But that's where we're at. When, you people, start, when, when people start saying, do I have to do this? What they're saying is, how little can I do and still be saved? They don't have to do it. What does the Bible say? They that compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. It's not wise. Let me tell you, I realize that I probably lean a little more to the right when it comes to standards of holiness. If you start comparing how I pastor... And the standards that I request, especially when it comes to leadership and platform, I realize I'm going to lean to the right. But I'm the one that's got to stand before God. There's people that lean. When I was an evangelist, I preached for guys that leaned to the right, preached for guys that leaned to the left, but it never compromised where I stood. I was still right there in the middle. Like my pastor said, my pastor said 35 years ago, I was considered an ultra-liberal. He said, today, I'm an ultra-conservative, but I never stop preaching. I'm preaching the same exact way I preached 35 years ago. But society has changed. People have changed. Paul says, I beg you, brethren, to present your bodies, not just your inner man, to God in sacrificial, holy living. And he says, and this is not anything extraordinary. It is just your reasonable service to him. As a Christian, living a holy lifestyle is the new normal when you come to God. God's trying to separate you. You should think different, walk different, act different, dress different. The point of the apostolic lifestyle is to stand out. Here, 10 years ago, this word started floating around the church needs to be more relevant. That's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. Where in this book do you find the church being relevant to the world? The church is supposed to be the opposite of the world. We're not supposed to look like them, act like them, talk like them. When they look at us, they need to know that's an apostolic. They walk different. They talk different. They dress different. Amen I'm not I'm not gonna finish not gonna happen I'm on page 11 of 19. Let me say this ladies and men men our holiness what God expects from men is not necessarily outward holiness as much as ladies but it's because we are wired different. Men are programmed by what they see. It activates things in a man. Therefore, it's imperative that ladies present themselves in a modest manner so as not to become a temptation for a man. In like manner, women are programmed by what they hear and what they feel. And so this is why Paul, Paul spoke to men about our conduct, our anger. So it's not that one set of rules is harder than the other set of rules. It's that they are specific to who we are as individuals, male and female, because there's still only two genders. Y'all know that, huh? We're making sure nobody got messed up in this congregation. Still only two. And so, ladies, hey, I've been to churches. I've got a lot, lots and lots of mercy for people that are just coming in from the world and they just want to know God. Tons and tons of mercy. There's been a lot of times that I'm I, when I was evangelist and I don't know anybody when I'd go to these churches and I'd pray for people and I had to pray for them like this just like this females because I'm a man talking in tongues or not I'm a man and so I had to preserve myself and understand that this person's coming to God so you get a lot of mercy when you're coming to God and I had total understanding for that. But it's when I knew that there was females that were leaving the city of refuge. They knew how to dress. They knew what it was supposed to what they were supposed to do. But they started looking like the one that was there brand new. That's where the problem is. Ladies, let me just encourage you. No, let me start with the men so no ladies think I'm I'm Pick it on ladies, I'm not. Men, your attitude is just as much of a part of your holiness as your outward appearance. Your attitude, your conduct, your anger, all of that is a part of your holiness. Everything. Now, ladies, let me say this. I'm not going through all the list. I've done this. Every year I try to teach on holiness. But just because... Just because you think it's okay to wear does not mean it is okay to wear. Okay. That's like me. I think I'm a medium. But I promise you, you're not gonna find a medium shirt in my in my drawer, t-shirt, because reality tells me different. For the longest I was an extra large. But then they started changing everything up, and they go, this is an extra large athletic cut. Can't wear it. I need the chubby cut, okay? I don't need the athletic cut. What happened to extra large original? That's what I need, okay? They start to tell my wives hey, the dry cleaners are shrinking the clothes, the dryer's shrinking the clothes, something's shrinking, okay? So, I said all that to say, ladies, just look in the mirror, okay? Just because you think it's okay, you got to make sure. I mean, you got to, Jesus help me. I've been to churches that it was like going to Walmart. You never know what you're going to see. It's like a surprise every time you walk in and you go, oh, 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 oh. I've been to churches like that because the husband didn't tell the wife because he'd rather be happy than (laughs) right. Honey, I love that dress on you, but you don't need to wear it outside of this bedroom, okay? Y'all know I'm joking. I'm using a lot of humor, but there's a lot of truth woven into all that. You got to remember That it's not just about you. You don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. Holiness is about that. You don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. Stand with me this afternoon. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands and let's thank the Lord for this word. Father. We want to be holy, not because of a church and not because of a certain person that says so. We want to be holy because you are holy. You are the standard whereby we measure everything, Jesus. We want to fall in line with you, Lord. We want to fall in line with your word. God, give us a love for truth and a love for holiness like we've never had before. in Jesus.